I said, well, do you know, do you think I could have the Wednesday off? I know it's a matinee day. And he went, oh, of course you can have the day off. He said, I thought you were going to ask me to take my clothes off for the full Monty night. Hello, everyone. My name is David Hill and welcome to my brand new celebrity podcast, Schmoozing, where I take a deep dive into the careers of some of my favourite people and my friends. Today's episode is brought to you by the fabulous team at 12A Studios. And sitting in the control room this afternoon is Jack Pallister. Hi, Jack. Hi, David. How are you? I'm very good. What sort of week have you had, Jack? Well, I have been binging the groundbreaking series It's a Sin, um, which is very in keeping with today's theme because our guest is from the series It's a Sin. And I have never been so speechless in all my life. I think when the last episode aired, I just stared at the TV screen afterwards. It was just incredible. It's um, It certainly is an emotional journey, oh. that series, uh, and groundbreaking in so many ways. Yeah, absolutely groundbreaking. And the cast is insane. I mean, they've got young talent, they've got... The likes of Stephen Fry, they've got the amazing Keely Hawes, who I am actually now a little bit obsessed with. And um, I'm going to make it my 2021 uh, goal to watch everything she's ever created or done. So if you're listening, Keely, I love you. I'm going to be an ex- a Keely Hawes expert because I'm going to watch everything. <laughs> well, let's hope she tunes into that. <laughs> Well, funnily enough, uh, the theme is it's a sin, but for me today, Jack, it's a gin. Oh, and uh, I can see that's a beautiful bottle over there. What are you pouring? Uh, This is one of my favourites. So this is a Tomcat blueberry gin. I've heard of that um, one. Which I have mixed with a uh, Folkington's tonic, just, you know, the normal um, premium tonic. Uh, and some crushed ice and some iced blueberries on top. It is absolutely delicious. <laughs> it's Moorish. It's so good. It sounds very grand. A bit much grander than how I imagine. Like gin in my head is like mother's ruin. You know, just go to the the pantry and take out a bottle of gin. But you make it sound like a theatrical performance. <laughs> well, I I went to a dinner party um, last year, and this was served as the sort of pre-dinner drink. It was literally a, a tomcat blueberry gin with. Uh, tonic and let's just say Jack that I didn't move on to any other drink I just um, drank this all night very very happily Um, and am I going to get a little sip of gin this evening probably not oh now before we get too carried away talking about gin I must just say if you enjoyed today's episode please rate and review us and above all subscribe so Jack tease us with some information about today's guest Well, today's guest is the inspiration behind the phenomenal series It's a Sin. She's a West End superstar who's worked with the likes of Carol Channing. I mean, what a legend. Wow. I know. And she's a campaigner, an activist and a serial fundraiser. It's the wonderful Jill Nolder. Uh, Jill, thank you so much for um, agreeing to do episode two of my new podcast, Schmoozing. We really appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. 
I'm excited to be, I'm excited to be here. Uh, we, we really appreciate it. And um, obviously, you're living a very specific period in your life at the moment because of the, uh, the hit TV series, oh. It's a Sin. It's gone wild. I mean, really, it's, it's, it, I, knew the, I knew because Russell T. Davis had written a, a fantastic series. I knew the script was fantastic. But the reception and the way that it's been received is mind-blowing, quite honestly. Well, we are going to dive into that, um, yeah. uh, of course. But before we do, I just wondered what it's like being an actress during this lockdown. Oh, well, it's not good, let's face it. It's, it's um, we, everything's dried up for us, for our whole community, really. People have done sterling work trying to do stuff online, trying to do play readings, trying to do, um, you know, shows and socially distant shows have been happening. There was a big concert at the, the weekend that tried to happen. But overall, as a whole industry, we have been hammered, that's for sure. I've only got you for an hour, so I don't want to waste any time. I want to jump straight into it, um, if that's okay with you. And at this point in the conversation, I should also say that this episode um, of Schmoozing will air on Monday, the 8th of March. But you and I are recording it um, this February as part of LGBTQ History Month. Uh, and in fact, we've just had National HIV Testing Week, which is so important, isn't it, Jill? Absolutely. It's, it's so important because it's a, it's a normal, treatable condition now. And so people don't need to be frightened as they were in the 80s, terrifying, you know, terrifying thought of getting that death sentence. It's not like that now. And so by getting tested, you know, you can look after yourself, you can treat yourself, you can make sure that you're not passing it on to other people. And there is no reason. Every Everything is good about getting tested. And it's simple now. You don't have to wait weeks. Like, like in the 80s, you have to wait weeks initially for results. You know, it's a very stressful time. No, you can find out so quickly now. So Yeah, absolutely. Go and get tested. And there's so many ways of doing it. You can get tested at home. Yeah. Um, you know, there are so many places you can go and get tested. And in fact, with the, with the current medication, um, there are lots of um, people living with HIV. And this includes actually some of your fellow cast members where the virus is undetectable. Exactly. And so they can't spread it. They can't, you know, get ill. So they're just living a completely normal life. But if they didn't know that they were HIV, they could be spreading it. And they could be falling into getting maybe not, you know, the sort of AIDS defining diagnosis illness, but certainly some of the other problems, the health problems that lead up to that. So there's no good reason not to get tested. No, absolutely. Um, before we dive in with the details around um, uh, It's a Sin, I just wanted to put this whole it's a sin series into context and i just wanted to fire some of the stats um uh, at you and 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 at our listeners because um and and to to, to give you them they, they are incredible so first of all it's achieved a hundred percent on rotten tomatoes um jill it's broken several viewership records for channel four the channel streaming service, All Four, recorded its highest of monthly views ever 
in January 2021, nearly doubling the figure from the year previous with a 91% increase. The five-part series has already accumulated over 6.5 million views on all four, becoming the service's biggest ever instant box set. It's now officially the most binged watched new series ever. It's a Sin's first episode also achieved the platform's biggest drama launch on record. Oh my word. I mean, it is absolutely mind-blowing, honestly. I, and he, even, I mean, Russell himself is, wow, that it's amazing. And he's so used to sort of, you know, getting success and a lot of viewers and everything like that. But even he's thinking, good grief, it's just... It's just phenomenal. His word is astonishing. That's what Russell always says. He always goes, it's astonishing. It's, um, yeah, it's become, it's kind of transcended beyond a TV show, hasn't it? It's, it's a phenomenon. Yeah, it's incredible. And, and who would have thought just, you know, when you look at, look at our own lives, and I include friends and people that have gone through HIV, who would ever have thought that that would have such an impact on people? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it, yes, it's it's incredible, it's astonishing, it's phenomenal, it's all of those superlatives. Um, and, you know, I'm one of those people that I watched it um, as it went out live on, yes. on Channel 4. And then, of course, I, you know, binge watched it after that because I just had to, I had to see it. You know, I watched it over, I think, two or three nights and... What an emotional roller coaster! Yeah, and for me, as a 52-year-old gay man, yeah. it resonated so personally yeah. on so many levels. Yeah, I totally get that. And and I've had messages from people, sort of in our age group, 50 and upwards, or 45 and upwards, who have memories of, were closer to the time, and then messages from very much younger people who just didn't know that that had happened. And they were just, you know, saying thank you to those boys for giving them a chance to have the life that they have now, which is a normal life, which is normal life expectancy. And um, so I've had so many messages like that from people that are so surprised by it and what, it, what how they've cried and and laughed because you can't you can't get a Russell Davis script without a laugh because he's got such a fantastic sense of humour. I mean, that's his brilliance isn't it the the juxtaposition of the comedy against this incredible heartbreak at the same time it's yeah, just genius. brilliant would I be correct in in saying that that your personal story was the inspiration and some of the basis behind the series that Russell has written well you are you are right I, I mean I can't you know it, it it's, it's some of his inspiration, because obviously the boys are his inspiration, the people that he knew, everything in there is his inspiration as well. But he, we have known each other since we were teenagers. And so he he lived through that time with with me, um, not not obviously in the Pink Palace all the time, but he, he lived through that time, um, knew our friends, you know, mutual friends. He saw what was happening. And so it's part and parcel of his whole inspiration. But... But it's not just me. How long have you known Russell? Um, no, how old am I now? Do I have to confess? I've known him for 35, 36 years. 
Wow. Yeah. We were, we were, we were children. We were, we were very young. We were young. We were our county youth theatre, Western Morgan Youth Theatre, which brought us all together. Um, and it was a brilliant place. It was so much fun. Even then, you know, right back in the 70s, the end of the 70s, it was camp. We had a laugh. We had, you know, it, people felt that they could be themselves. Even young, even younger, you know, young boys there were were able to, I think, start to come to terms with their sexuality and things like that, just in a more open environment amongst friends. It was. And have you remained close friends throughout the years? Russell and I, yeah, yes, yes we have. Yeah, we've re- remained. I mean, there's been times when we've you know, not spoken for months on end and things like that. I mean, he is seriously busy. But one night when I was doing Les Miserables, and it, it sticks in my mind because we had such a funny night. I came out, it was a hot, hot night, and I was dressed as a, a, a peasant or a whore. I think I was dressed as a whore. And I went to the stage door just to get a breath of air. And by chance, he passed me by in the street. He'd gone, been doing some sort of interview. And we shrieked. And we planned to meet after the show. And at five o'clock in the morning, we were still having a laugh. He came back to the flat, stayed the night. We laughed and laughed and laughed. So however long we have been apart, we get back together and it's exactly the same. I'm interested for you to, if you don't mind, describe what life was really like during that period for you, you know, through your experience and, and from your own words, really, um, living through that 1980s, you know, 1990s period when this, um, what what I think is fair to say, this pandemic started. Yes. So, OK, so it was it was very um, intense because it, it, you know, people had a diagnosis that you thought, obviously, they are they are going to die. That's a horrible thing to be carrying around so you are carrying around that anxiety all the time as to what is going to eventually kill my friend you know because that is going to happen there was no cure there was no real treatment there's some treatment so that there's this there's some treatment for some of the infections you might get but so that there was always that sort of grieving in advance kind of thing that that you know you you're already you telling yourself that somebody hasn't even like passed away and you're still grieving which is sort of position you 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 get in the mindset but also there was the secrecy there was the stigma so it's all adding together to make this sort of i don't know i mean i think back now and i and I, i'm not quite sure how we all dealt with it really you you can't you can't imagine because you just get on with it it becomes the normal that you're living so you you kind of have those secrets but it's what you do as part of a part of your day, you know, trying to, trying to um, help, just help. And and also it's your life. You you are living and working, and you know these are the people that you're spending your your time and your life with, and so it's it affects you, and you want to help. You just want to do what you can. I'm right in saying, aren't I, that um, in in very much the same way that that your character in the the TV series played by the wonderful actress Lydia West uh, who plays Jill um, one of the, the the I suppose the themes of that narrative was that she starts just visiting um, strangers and people in hospital because so many of these gay men 
their families had deserted them. Um, people didn't understand the virus. There was this um, incredible stigma at attached to it. And you did that, didn't you, Jill? You actually went and, and, and started visiting people in hospitals. Yes. In, the, in the very beginning, I did. When, when we first had, when people had no visitors and where it was a real stigma, um, you could go to the um, hospital, one of the main aid centres in London, and all you did was you went and you volunteered and you would take a, a cup of tea around and you would sit with somebody who maybe had no visitors or maybe you know was keeping it a complete secret and you would just go around and take a cup of tea and um you know i don't know just tea and cake round and you could do that sort of thing and so um i did do that i i did it until you know somebody very close to me fell ill and i thought then okay um i need to you know put my priorities and, and take care of my very close friend at that point. I was reading one of the interviews that you've done very recently with The Independent where you talk about that experience and you say in the interview it was not an exceptional thing to do and I just wondered why you said that. Well, I mean, I don't think, I, I can't see that anybody wouldn't do that for someone that they love at the time and also, you know, you were part, there, there were other people out there wanting to help and wanting to be, you know, um, buddies. There was a whole buddy system that you could be. I don't know if that rings a bell with you at all, but you could go and help somebody who couldn't have visitors or even was stuck in their house and, and was living quite segregated, a, a quite segregated life. And you could do shopping for them or make food, you know, all that kind of thing. So, so I, I wasn't the only person doing that, of course. I mean, that's, that, that was linked to the hospitals but you but it was very early on and and people were scared i mean people were scared of catching aids and didn't know how they caught it and all that kind of thing but it, it is again very obvious i think quite quickly to me that you can't get this from touching you, you know it's, it's whatever it is it's not touching someone's hand that's going to give it to you otherwise it would be everywhere you know like look at covid it's such a different thing. So it's obviously something else. It's not, you haven't got to be scared of that, which I, I didn't feel like so. I suppose my only comment would be that, that you know, and it's very, very much in your character to, 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 to answer the question the way you have. But I think you probably underestimate what an exceptional difference you probably made to some of those people that you were, that you were visiting. And, and you know, uh, yes, to you, that was quite natural and, um organic in a way because you were living in and around the virus yes. but I'm sure it made an exceptional difference to people Jill well you'd like to think that you'd like to think that you know that has helped then then you know that's that's a very nice thing to, to think that you've been able to do because obviously people did really really struggle and people were so frightened of being discovered that they had AIDS and you know that that word was synonymous with the gay plague and all the abuse that the gay community suffered at the time. So I, you know, it's it's nice to think if you if you have been able to help, that's that's something for sure. I, I think personally, one of the 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 points or the the themes of the show that is so important is it it shines a light on the ignorance around the uh, illnesses you've just alluded to yes. um, at the time. Uh, the way in which the initially some of the medical profession 
um, uh, looked uh, on the illness yeah. um, and um, and the, the, just the terrible stigma around it, uh, you know, at the time. And I think that's been a very important part of the narrative of, of It's a Sin. Yes, that and, that and that was absolutely true. I mean, there was a massive, horrible stigma. I mean, really, you know, and somebody was saying to me, you wouldn't, you know, with somebody with COVID, you have nothing but sympathy, you have nothing but care and sympathy. But for AIDS, at the time, there was the innocent victims and there was the people who were not innocent. They got it because they did something wrong. Their lifestyle was wrong. They were the, the people that were being, you know, deserved to get it was an attitude that was out there as, as if that as if you were not just equally unlucky that you'd fallen ill because you were a gay man. And obviously your lifestyle has led you to have that. And not only that, you're spreading it to other people. And, you know, get, so so they were blamed. And that's that's a horrible thing to to carry with you while you're feeling really ill and you can't get the help and you've got a, a, a sentence, a death sentence hanging over your head and you can't tell your family. It's horrendous. And, and you know, for me, one of the most heartbreaking elements as well was that how it split up couples. And, you know, you've got the scenes in the show where... Um, you know, couples that had lived together all their adult yeah. lives were suddenly having to die separately, yes, you know, with no communication. There was no mobile phones then. There was no social yeah. media. You know, all those communication things that we now live with that are normal to us, they were not there. And at the time, so of course, you just accept that because you know no difference. So it is getting into a call box or trying to find out, you know, and if, and if somebody was out of the country and and they fell ill like you see in, in it's a sin then that's terrible trying to get through to another country to try and find out what's happened to your partner or to your friend and you know you, you can't speak the language if they're in hospital you don't know where they are and you know it, it's so i mean torturous experiences for people one of the things that i've said to people over the last few weeks about the series and i, I just wondered whether you would agree with me i've said that it it has started a, a national conversation about AIDS and the HIV virus. And it's even filled a knowledge gap, in my opinion, um, with the wider society. Do, do you think that's correct? I think it's absolutely correct. I do. I really think that's it's definitely filled a knowledge gap. It's definitely started conversations. But it's also, on top of that, it is now getting the sympathy and the caring that they didn't get at the time. People are sort of caring after the after the event. They didn't realise what people were going through, and I think it's it's got this this quite emotional, got this kind of outpouring of love and care for those people and what they went through. And and I think they are, they honestly wouldn't believe that. They would not believe how people so respecting them now and thinking about them in loving terms instead of thinking about them as spreading a disease and causing all these problems that's a wonderful and positive way of looking at it and um yeah i think you're abs i think you're absolutely right it, you really are um I, I know one of the key things with this whole part of your life and this story and i think that's continued actually throughout your life is that not only did you become a campaigner for um, uh, this terrible um, disease, but you became very active as a fundraiser yes. too, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, that is one thing I did do full on 
um, not just me again, a whole of the West End community. We set up the charity, we set up West End Cares and myself and Jay Alexander and um, Anthony Lynn, he was a big instigator in it and, and um, uh, Sean Kerrison, um, Murray Lane. There was a whole bunch of us, a, a group of us. I was the first chairperson of the committee I don't know why, maybe because, I, again, I was the only girl. And um, and so we started having some meetings on a Saturday morning before the matinee. And we approached Crusade, which was a big, um, was a charity that had been set up, to use the name West End Cares. They'd had it under a banner because of Broadway Cares, Equity Fights Aid. And, and then it seriously took off in the West End Theatre because we were all very focused on trying to raise money to help with the cause. And... We were just saying we we just really want we we just really want to get a cure, you know, and and help people who were not having problems paying their bills and there was a hardship fund anyway. So I'm I'm digressing, but the whole West End community would come and put on cabarets. We did late night shows. Um, we did sort of party nights, theme nights, um, little seasons at different theatres. People who already had a one-person show would put their show on, and that night it would be raising money for West End Cares. We did bucket collections. Honestly, we didn't stop. People would run away. People were running away from us in the end, going, "Oh no, you're going. What you're going to ask me to do now?" And I asked one of the resident directors. I, I said, "Well, can I have a word with you? Can I have a word with you in my dressing room after the show?" And I hadn't put in. I needed a day off. And I hadn't put it in on the calendar. So I wanted to say, do you think I could have a, have a day off? And um, I said, would well, you know, do you think I could have the Wednesday off? I know it's a matinee day. And he went, oh, of course you can have the day off. He said, I thought you were going to ask me to take my clothes off for the full Monty night. <laughs> he became so terrified of me, like asking me for things all the time. But they, you know, people generally, they had fun. They loved it. And, you know the theatre profession were amazing and we've raised a lot of money oh you should be proud and i i have to say that your your sort of fundraising tour de force didn't just stop in london did it it came down to brighton where i'm based oh well you know and now we've got a so i know we've got mutual acquaintances down there and the fantastic david raven he was always doing some fundraising events for all sorts of things in brighton and um yeah, so yeah, we did. I think we did. We did a night at the Dome, a night at the Theatre Royal, lots of things. Of course, it extended to Brighton because it's a big, active gay community in Brighton. So, should explain to our listeners that don't know who the legendary David Raven is. He's, of course, um, I think officially the UK's oldest drag queen, Maisie Trollette. Um, uh, it, well into his 80s now and still working, Jill. Yeah, it's incredible. I think the doctor, one of the doctors said to him, can you just check your birth certificate before you go on stage in stilettos again? <laughs> <laughs> he is absolutely incredible. I mean, he's, yeah, he, he he's incredible. An incredible spirit, an incredible... Um, star, yeah. he's a star. That's how I look on him. He's, he's, a, he's a star, and I. He's always fundraising. So whenever I've been able to support him, and and Jay obviously comes down into to Brighton, and we've done a lot of things, and it's all been a joy. It's all been fantastic. So if it raises money for, I mean, it's more so charities in Brighton, the AIDS related charities in Brighton, like Sussex Beacon, 
and that when we come to Brighton, so it wouldn't go to the West End Cares, but it's the same cause and it's the same thing. So, I'm so glad you you mentioned the Sussex Beacon because obviously um, uh, David Raven has done a lot of um, fundraising for the Beacon. He's a very passionate supporter of the the Sussex Beacon, um, and uh, and and I know in, in, in you, you know yourself. Um, you've you've also raised a lot of money for the Sussex Beacon. It's a very special place to me personally because um, I actually have an office there, believe it or not. Because the 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 main the main fundraising activity for the charity now is the Brighton Half Marathon, which of course they have owned and operated now for over thirty years. And I help them and the team here. We help them produce that race because it's now. Uh, um, a monster event with um you know over 12,000 runner registrations and you know 50,000 spectators on the day and it's one of the biggest races in the national running calendar it's one of the biggest events in the city so um we we actually have a, a, a an office there which of course we've not been able to access since the start of the pandemic because there is a you know there is a hospital wing and an inpatient unit there that um not only at the moment is looking after um, HIV patients, but but also caring for some of the other NHS patients due to the current, you know, coronavirus um, pandemic. So um, uh, it's uh, it's a special place, Jill, isn't it? Yeah, it's absolutely, and it, it deserves all the all the fundraising that can come its way. Quite honestly, it's just marvellous. I'm going to unapologetically. Um, uh, thank on this podcast and mention uh, Tracy and the entire clinical team at the Sussex Beacon because they do an incredible job and um, I'm so you know honoured and and proud to even be associated with them. They are incredible. Yeah, fantastic. Well, yeah, praise yes, praise praise for them indeed. Jill, I've I've got a little bit of a. Um, an announcement. Well, an announcement's not the right word. I've I've certainly got something I just want to um to mention to you because actually in preparation for this podcast, I actually did have a chat to the executive director um of the Sussex Beacon, uh, a, a wonderful chap called Bill Puddicombe, and I just want to put you on alert that you are going to receive uh, an email from him very soon because um. Uh, the trustees and Bill and the, the, the whole team at the Sussex Beacon would love you to become a patron of the charity. Oh, that that is just, that that's quite a, yeah, that's... You're that speechless. Yeah, well, yeah, I, that's truly, I, I mean, I, I am quite, well, I'm honoured by that. I, I can only say I'm honoured by that, really. Um, yeah, wow. Gosh, my whole... Things are things are happening so amazingly. It's it's fantastic. Well, it's you know it's 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 deserved, and you know. Well, I think, anything I can do to help them, that's what I'll say for that. Yeah. That's oh, that's so good. Are they going to be? You know, they're going to be thrilled to sort of reignite that relationship with 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 you. It's going to be so fantastic and pleased that we can you know at some point in the future we can actually start fundraising again i just wondered whether you would got any um any ideas for for future fundraisers when we're out of this pandemic well i have got an idea for a fundraiser and i've already spoken i've mentioned it to russell 
and I've already spoken with um, David Pendlebury, of course, who is has is is not at the moment acting as the chairman, but he's been the chairperson of Theatre Mad for over a decade, and he's worked tirelessly on fundraising. So we had a little chat the other day about obviously with all this renewed interest in HIV and AIDS, doing a big fundraising night in the West End um, when we can come out of lockdown. I do think we need to be out of lockdown to, I agree. to get the vibe and to get it happening. But I'm, I'm sure I've got, I've got, I've got no doubt with your, um, with your passion and energy and contacts and, and if, if, if Russell T Davis is, is behind it as well, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's going to happen, Jill. I've got no doubt that, you know, whenever we come out of this um, um, pandemic, we'll be, we'll be learning about this um, fundraiser and um, the tickets will be snapped up. I'm, well, I'm sure. You know, it's all there now, isn't it? So I'm, I'm fired up for that now because I think we can do it. Well, listen, I'm going to say um, uh, as we're talking, if there's anything I can do to help, um, whether that's um, donating a prize or, or, or whatever I can do, um, uh, Jill, I, I will, I will glad, I will gladly do. I'm, I'm a good auctioneer. If ever that, oh, if ever, it's fantastic! What a lovely you... thing that is to do an auction. See, now I'm not going to ask you to take your clothes off for the full Monty look like that <laughs> the director. <laughs> well, do you, do you know what I, I do? I do find myself at the age of fifty-two um, owning and producing and managing the the biggest outdoor gin festival in the uh, in the UK. So um, perhaps there's some sort Fine. of you know VIP experience. We've got a very we've got a very exclusive VIP proposition by invitation only with with uh, with that gin festival. Um, so perhaps there's some kind of very special. Um, experience that we could donate and, oh, and that fantastic. could raise raise some money for that fundraiser as well. well. What we should do is like to part of the night, do the auction thing as part of the night and and, and do that because obviously that's a marvellous prize and that's you know already that's an, yeah we'll get that going brilliant yeah well I'd, I'd you know any any anything I can do to be involved and support it and um, uh, I would I'm, I'm in I'm in. Oh thank you that's so brilliant <laughs> wow. I just wanted to, before I kind of move off It's a Sin um, and, and talk about your, you know, your career, your wider career, which because you, you've had an amazing um, uh, theatrical career, of course. I just wanted to ask you, it, it's been a breakout show for many of those young actors involved in it. Yeah, for sure. And I just wondered how they were all coping with it because even yourself you've said it's been you know you've been on a roller coaster I just wondered how how all these young stars like Lydia and um, Callum and Nathaniel how they're all coping with this well Lydia I I see because a couple of times we've done an interview on zoom and so we've spoken together and she's going wow it's all amazing and you know so she's loving it she's really really enjoying it and she's coping fantastically and i I, I think Ollie, he's used to a bit of adoration because he's got his years and years fans and they already adore him. So I'm sure he's got it all in his stride. I know that Callum is just literally winning hearts all over the place and he's having such a ball. So, and Amari and, and they, they, you know, they've all got such amazing personalities that they've, they've jumped on it, I think, and they, they're enjoying it hugely. But they, they're all, we're all saying wow this is incredible yeah I've been watching everyone's social media you know their Instagrams and sort of from the first episode you know they've just it's just gone crazy 
um, for, for them. So it it, it 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 is wonderful. And would I be right in saying that they genuinely became very good friends during the filming? I believe that from my from what I see of them, they loved each other. I mean, every time I looked at them, they were laughing. They were, you know, hugging each other. That's in the days when we could, because it was filmed like year more than a year ago now. And so they 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 really bonded, and I think you can tell that. I think there's no, there's they've created something quite magical between them, but it was very real. So yeah, they they are. And then when it came to the emotional, when it came to the emotional stuff, they really they really felt it. And he had such a huge huge round of applause at the end of his last. I I was lucky to be there actually, Richie. Um, when Richie was doing his last shot, when when um, Ollie was filming his last shot, and then that was the end for him, and it was it's a wrap, thank you, and that's his last um, scene. He had such a cheer; everybody adored him. They just loved him. So he was a big sort of heart in the middle of it all as well. Now, listen, I want to before I um, before I let you go, I really want to talk about you know um, the other things that have that have happened in your. Um, career and particularly around theatre and um, when I was doing my reading and my research I thought to myself well it would be quicker and easier to just list the shows that you haven't been in um, uh, you know in terms of your your career and I I just wondered I mean you've done lots and lots of you know musical theatre West End credits drama concert performances I, I was very I'm very interested to find out you know what are your favorite roles the roles you've played so far which have been your favorite okay so definitely Madame Tenardier definitely because definitely Les Miserables because before I got into Les Miserables I so loved it so uh, that was that was a, a real sort of joy for me and I did um play Miss Mazeppa I don't know if you know the music yeah I'm sure you know the musical Gypsy but I don't know if all I your do. Uh, uh, viewers would know it and so I did play Miss Mazeppa and I learned to play the trumpet for that and that was a huge laugh it's a brilliant show anyway and it's, it's, it's one a of the great best show so those are the roles that I think I've probably really enjoyed but you know what I love musical theatre and I I love it all I just love all that uh, any sh- and I love the the whole thing of musical theatre it's been it's been I've been a fan of that for well, since I was a child, so Godspell. I saw Godspell at my local theatre and just fell in love with it. So, yeah, I I, I think if you're a, a performer as well, you love what you're doing at the time. So, you know, that it's all been it's all been brilliant. We're um, we're big fans of um, musical theatre here, Jill. In fact, um, Jack, who is obviously controlling the tech from my side, is is glazing over as we start talking musical theatre now. He's um, he's 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 very excited um i i just wondered because i know this happens and it certainly happened to me what the funniest thing um uh, what's the funniest thing that has happened on stage for you well oh gosh i mean some things you can't even speak about but i can tell you i tell you the weirdest thing if i can tell you the strangest thing that happened to me yeah um, i was on stage in les miserables probably a little bit funny as well as it turned out all right but i was doing les miserables and we have all these beggar costumes and part of my skirt, which was all sort of frayed at the edges, got caught into the mechanism under the barricade. Because we were all in Paris, you know, we were calling, look down, look down, the beggars at your feet and all that. And my costume was caught into it. And 
the barricade came down, but it was pulling me with it. <laughs> so I was being pulled underneath the barricade, and I thought, oh, my costume will rip, but it didn't. And it pulled me further and further and further underneath it. And I thought, oh, it's going to kill me. And I thought it's coming down. I thought, well, it might just break my legs. I was honestly thinking that. I was thinking, if it just breaks my legs, I'll be okay. Anyway, it came to its natural stop. And this lovely actor called Tom Magdish, he realised that I was stuck and he pulled me out from under it. And I sang my line. I sang, look down, as, as I came out, I got my line out and then... They took me off into the wings and I literally had, all that was left was a tiny, like a little tank top. All my costume was stuffed into the barricade. <laughs> so, a, bit, a bit funny, but a bit, like, a bit scary as oh, well. Oh, scary, that yeah. It's a bit scary, but honestly. But uh, they thought in the beginning that I was just acting really well because I was screaming and shouting, but so was everyone because that was the scene. Are you, are you a corpser, Jill, like me? I'm a corpser. I got told off very early on in my career by John Nathan Turner, who was the producer of the Doctor Who Panto. And I was on stage with an actress called Mary Tam and some boys were shouting out from the audience. It was just, it was pantomime. She laughed and I thought, well, that's okay. She's laughing. So I, I laughed. Um, and I was 23 at the time and I went back to my dressing room and I got a knock on the door in the interval and I got John Nathan Turner saying, Ooh. Don't do that again. Don't do that very again. Serious voice, and so, so I'm not a corpse. I I have corpse, of course I have, but I'm I don't try to do that laughy thing because it comes back to me the knock on the door and I felt the fear of of you know the wrath of of the director and so yeah. But I I know you know sometimes you just can't help it. But I never set up anything to try to make people corpse. I I, I discovered another um, link. Um, between you and I actually when I was reading about your career because I was officially the last ever agent and manager um, to the actress Dora Bryan Um, and of course Dora in terms of her West End career is really widely regarded as the sort of quintessentially British version of Dolly Levi from the 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 hit Jerry Herman musical Hello oh, Dolly yes absolutely and I know that you did a very special concert performance of that show didn't you oh it was fantastic it was it was it could not it could not have been a more exciting evening because it was with Carol Channing and Cheetah Rivera wow and in fact Jay was the, the MD of it or one of the MDs there was a whole it was a massive night and and the the number Hello Dolly with Carol Channing at the end was absolutely a bit of a, a theatre experience and they they threw everything at it. There was marching bands, there was all kinds of things happening. So it was, it was an incredible night to be part of. I mean, two theatrical icons and legends, aren't they? I mean, oh, Carol they are, Channing. And and... Are, absolutely. I mean, Carol Channing, she, she wasn't young then. And she's just, she, she and it's, it's a while back... She was incredible, and she came with big the, the the wig and the everything. You know, just just she looked a million dollars every time she came into a rehearsal. And and Chita Rivera was, yeah, she's she was extraordinary. Um, I should also mention with the with the Brighton link uh, as well because um a very very close friend of mine um Tim Slater who for many 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 years was the theatre 
Royal manager here in Brighton. Uh, he was the theatre manager at the Theatre Royal. He's asked me to say hello to you because, Aww. in fact, um, you did panto there, didn't you, with um, did. with Colin Baker and Wendy Richards? Yes, I did. We had, and that was another. It was a great laugh, and that's a, what a gorgeous theatre that is, though. It's a lovely theatre, and we had we did have fun. Yeah, it was a, a nice a nice memory that is. Because of course Wendy's no longer with us. But. No, no, and of course you you had the wonderful um, Carol Kay in the cast as well, who was a dear, 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 dear friend of mine. Yeah, yeah, oh, dear she was friend fantastic. Of mine. Yeah, it was lovely. So yeah, very happy memories of all that. It's um, it's a lovely theatre to play. I did panto there with um, um, Julian Clary, actually Cinderella, which was his very first panto. Wow! Um, now and he's now he takes Panto by storm. Now he is Mister Panto he is now, Mr. isn't Panto, he? Exactly. Mister Mister Palladium and Mister Panto. Very funny, oh God! His yeah. Um, no, it's uh, is it? I mean, is Panto something you do again, Jill? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I've had I've had great fun doing pantomime. Of course, when you recently, I've been um, you know, touring with with our company more so, and we we've, we've been quite a bit out of the country we've traveled a lot doing shows concert performances of musicals we also did the theater royal brighton with the west enders that's the company that i'm part of but never say never for anything in this business because obviously you know i i, I love doing panto i'm not going to get principal boy now am i no because that, that's i used to do principal boy a lot but um you never know with which good fairly you get you get the great character parts now, Jill. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I did, I did, I did ping your lovely agent, Michael, who I've known for years, of course. I did, I did ping him an email this morning where I just, I, I literally just said, Michael, just so you know, I do produce the main pantomime in Brighton, which is transferring to a very, very, very big venue in 2021, and you know. Um, there's definitely a part for Jill Nolder, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so I have pinged in that email. Um, oh, I'm going to have a word with him. He hasn't told me that. <laughs> no, he he actually came back to me and said, "Well, let's let's have a chat once you've done the podcast. Let's have a chat. You know, I'm, I'm going to give him a call when when we finish this podcast." But um, um, yeah, so I did I did I did ping in that email, Jill. Um, I love you for that. <laughs> um, you mentioned, um, and I, I certainly want to mention it, um, this group called the West Enders, um, which you are one of the, the, the co-founders of. I just wanted to know about that. You know, tell me about the West Enders. Oh, so we, we've been together now, in 15 years we've been putting on shows. Um, and we, we met in Les Miserables, but the group of us that set it up, and Jay, who wasn't in Le Miserable at the time, but but obviously he's just such a brilliant musical director, and we're all friends. Again, it's a it's a it's a friendship thing. We put the shows together. We decided to do a musical theatre concert evening. That's what the show is about, and we do all the favourite musicals. There's six there's six of us, six singers. There's a, a live musicians and all of that, and uh, that's what we do. So, and we honestly we've had so many brilliant experiences we've toured this country we've toured europe we've some we've done concerts on the cruise ships which is every time we get a cruise it's a joy because we go off for a two weeks or a week sometimes one time it was even three days or something do the concert go somewhere fantastic and you know so we've done we've done some huge concert halls we've done people's 
back kitchens. We've done everything <laughs> that you do. We've changed in laundries. We've changed on trains. We've It's taken us the gamut of show business from the smallest to the largest arenas. We've played some huge arenas. And when it, when, they're in, when you're in Europe, they, they, everything's staged very differently. So you'll find yourself in this massive, um, you can only say arena, which you, we, we wouldn't be the sort of show that, that you do that there, but you share the stage with other people and you get put on as part of an evening. And it's, it's, just, been, it's just been brilliant. And we're still all speaking. We still love each other. We've made three albums. We've had a ball. One of our best things was one of our most exciting trips. We were going up the Amazon on a ship, doing our concert, literally sailing into Manaus. So we've had amazing experiences through it. And all, all it was was an idea in our dressing room in Les Miserables. You know, what shall we do? Shall, what should we try and put something together to create some work for ourselves? You know, and it, and it grew and grew. So, yeah. Uh, and, and I should say, um, when this um, entire pandemic ends and we can go back to the joy of live performance again, um, if if people want to book the West Enders, they just go to the website, don't they? It's thewestenders.com. Yes, you're saying that. I love you for that as well. Not only have you got me a panto, you get West Enders. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, they just go to the, the website, which is thewestenders.com. Com. Yeah, yeah, we're doing. We'll hopefully, be doing shows as soon as we possibly can. I was listening to your promo on there um, this morning, and it's just wonderful, just wonderful to hear that music again. You know, we're well, we all love. Yeah, everybody loves it. You know, those that love musicals will will love it. Of course, I mean, not everybody's favourite, but it's ours. Jill, I've got a couple of final lots of closing questions for you which I wanted to ask um the first one is is somewhat open-ended but I just wondered what the future holds for you well if you'd asked me three weeks ago I, I would have said hopefully we we're going to be getting back to doing some shows and some gigs but you know I've no idea now what the future holds I just hope it holds more work and everybody honestly everybody just stays healthy and we can get out there and perform because I do love live theatre and it's a little bit of a drug, isn't it? Once you've done it, you you know you you want to keep doing it. So, yeah, and hopefully some good will come out of all of this, and I can do some, you know, fundraising and really hope some you know awareness. And I'm up for any anything like that because you know anything that I can do that helps, you know, the the cause that cause and other causes. And you know, let's hope there's some force for good out there. I would also add to that. Um, I will chip in with my view, um, my professional view, Jill, that, that you've also proved that you're a terrific screen actress. So, you know, could there be future screen roles for you too? Oh, no, anything would be a joy, wouldn't it? Of course, I'd love it. Of course, I'd love it. And um, yeah, it's all about auditioning and getting the auditions. So. And, and do you mind me asking you what your dream role would be, you know, in the future? On, on, in the theatre, <clears throat> I'd probably like to, I mean, I, I love Sweeney Todd. I love doing a, a Stephen Sondo, Sweeney Todd, so maybe Mrs. Lovett or maybe Mama Morton in Chicago or something like that. That would be great. I could, yeah, I could I see you in both of those roles. Well, hopefully I'm, I'm kind of, that's the sort of role I'd be going up for. So, yeah, may, maybe something like that would be fun. 
And on screen, TV, screen? Oh, my word. Now, on screen, I mean, you know, I'm, I mean, do you know the series that they're filming, the Dark Materials trilogy? That's that, my favourite book of all times. And I've been looking at that, watching it, thinking, I'd love to be in the Dark Materials trilogy. You've been, I don't know if you've been watching it, but if you've read the books, they're amazing. So if the producer is listening now... <laughs> yeah, I'll play a witch or anything. That's Jill, Jill's putting that out there. I suspect that, um, you know, going, I suppose, back back to the beginning of the interview and back to the beginning of your story, I, I suspect, and uh, this gives me a warm heart, that everything you did during that period that has been... Um, uh, you recounted in 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 it's a sin and you know the, the the fundraising you did and the you know the care that you administered on 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 people in hospital and friends who'd got the the you know the, the disease i'd just like to think that um that that you're going to get your reward now that would be a wonderful thing for me to to you know think that uh that, that this is going to have some really you know wonderful positive outcome for you personally oh well it's so lovely of you to say that but you know you don't even yeah you don't even think of that as in terms of a reward i have to say that that's just but the, this what 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 is happening to me now and what is happening to the others is it's a great reward for the, the show itself for the yeah. series yeah because everyone works hard with that no, I, I I totally understand. Well, um, we we've come towards the um the end of the interview, but um, as you know, Jill, there is a feature on this um podcast which um which Jack has termed through the the green door. Uh, we like to take our guests through the green door, and the idea is very simple: is that um I'm an avid reader like you are. I I read a lot, and I love a thriller. I'm I'm a real fan of a thriller. Um, and I just thought that I would start a story, and let my lovely, special, wonderful, talented, creative guests <laughs> continue it. So um. Yeah. Uh, what's actually happened is you are my second guest. My first guest was um, none other than the Olympic gold medalist Sally Gunnell. And she's contributed brilliantly to this story. So um, I thought what I would do is is read the story so far. So I'll read the, the couple of paragraphs that I've written, um, then the paragraph that Sally has written. And then I'm hoping, Jill, in true theatrical style, you'll continue the story. I've got it. Brilliant. Okay. Are you, are you ready? I'm, I'm yes. just getting into my actor theatrical mode. <laughs> Go for it. I'm going to become all theatrical and uh, dramatic. So uh, here goes um, The Green Door. As Henry would soon discover, the old manor held many dark secrets within its crumbling walls. The imposing house and surrounding estate had been in the Osborne family for over 200 years, and as the eldest son, he would soon inherit it. The green door, situated at the top of the house on the third floor, had always remained locked as far as he could remember. The children were strictly forbidden to venture up to this attic floor, but it had always proved too tempting to explore. Henry discovered the key to the green door quite by accident when he was searching for his wallet in the old orangery. Unknowingly, he had passed it so many times over the years and yet there it was directly in front of him. 
The soon-to-be heir to the family pile knew instinctively which room it belonged to. And now we move on to Sally Gunnell's paragraph. Sliding the key and wallet into his suit inside pocket, Henry made his way to his father's wake. He needed to excuse himself so he could finally see what secrets were so bad they had to remain locked behind this old green door. But it wasn't going to be easy. Many people had turned out to pay their respects, but Henry suspected it was mostly so they could have a nosy around the big house. Henry was sensitive to other people's feelings, something his father had lacked, which would make this job even more challenging. Reaching the main hall, Henry took a deep breath. He walked over to a tall, dark-haired and gothic-looking woman, his sister, Bella. She was holding hands with her equally imposing lover, Donna. He greeted them and mumbled his rather lame excuse about a headache. In her icy glare, he could feel his sibling's deep-rooted resentment. Toddy, his brother and the baby of the family, was, as usual, drinking whiskey and entertaining a crowd. Henry passed him by, ignored him and walked briskly towards the stairs. His heart was racing now. Such was his excitement, the key seemed to be burning a hole in his pocket. He began climbing the stairs. First floor, second floor. Breathless, he arrived at the third floor. There it was, the attic, the green door. Weirdly, a fleeting sense of foreboding clutched at his heart. And just then, he heard footsteps on the wooden stairs, stilettos, hushed voices. Shit! Had Bella and Donna followed him? He tried frantically to turn the key in the lock, too stiff. He turned around. A look of horror crossed his face. That is so incredible. <laughs> you need to write a book, Jill. That was just tremendous. What did you think, Jack? I'm, I'm just in awe of you, Jill. <laughs> I'm Stop it now, Jack. <laughs> I'm on my knees. I'm bowing to you. I'm bowing to you. <laughs> Jill, thank you so much for today. I really appreciate it. And um, uh, it's been a great episode. I've loved talking to you. And um, we've never met in person, but I have a feeling that we will do, I'm sure, once this... Um, once this pandemic is over, we'll I'll zip up to London and we'll I'll take you for a cheeky lunch and a few drinks and um oh, and I'm looking forward to it already. Continue this conversation and of course any help I can give you with your fundraising, you you know, you have my full support. Thank you Thank so, you so much. much. Oh, it's been lovely. Thank you. Do you feel like you've been schmoozed, Jill? Oh, I definitely feel like I've been schmoozed big time. That was the delightful Jill Nolder who I could have happily have talked to all day. I'm David Hill. This has been Schmoozing. And please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe if you've enjoyed today's episode. If you're feeling really perky, you could even give us a mention on social media with the hashtag Schmoozing. Next week, I will be talking to my dear friend and world record holder, Mr Neil Lawton. And until then, stay safe, stay positive and stay with me for more celebrity schmoozing next week. Mm -hmm.